Uh, I have been told by certain people, I won't name them, just call them Scott, called a ghetto. That's a different Scott. Well, I'm pointing your son for your sake. There's more to this story. More to this story, Sean. But, uh, but the reason why is this is going to be, um, you know, what we're going to do is, uh, sometimes you can just talk about observations, but I also kind of want to show it to you as well. So I'm not sure how much we're going to make it through uh, today, but kind of to prime the pump here, um, consider the following quote from a review of the Oregonian used to uh, promote HBO's The Girl in the Cafe. Quote, an endearing romantic comedy, okay? This is, you know how those movie posters, mm -hmm. right? An endearing romantic comedy. Now, from this quote, does, how does a reviewer seem to feel about this movie and why? What do you think? Just from this quote. The our, reader, our maker here, yeah. The writer of the, of the, um, what do they call it, the review or the, and endear the words, um, is biased towards the movie. Okay. It's an endearing romantic comedy. Ladies, would you want to see an endearing romantic comedy? As long as there's only Christian characters. <laughs> Absolutely, right? It's like, kind of like a Hallmark movie. Um, yeah. If this was on Rotten Tomatoes, would it, what, what would this be? A splat? No? Sleep. <laughs> Went to sleep, yeah. So with this, on the Rotten Tomatoes thermometer, would this be positive or negative? Positive. It would be positive, right? So uh, so that, that's, what you that's what you would think. Now, we're going to go ahead and scroll up to the original quote. This new offering from HBO Films is at its heart a bit of political propaganda wrapped into an endearing romantic comedy that starts losing its last when it gets to Reykjavik and decides its teachable moment has arrived. Quite a bit different from an endearing romantic comedy, okay? So, now it is true that it says it right here. Now, how does the uh, fuller context inform uh, the meaning of the initial quote? using this term an endearing romantic comedy. If you're to just look at the sentence. Almost as a way to try to hide initially their agenda. Yeah, so an endearing prop, you know, romantic comedy is like a, uh, kind of like, a he's talking about a genre. Not necessarily the content of the movie, right? Other things that we might notice about this quote and how it's used? Trying to salvage something of what seems to be a lackluster. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the broader context, he's basically saying, "Nice try." Mm -hmm. Right. This attempts to be one, 
but it really isn't because yeah. obviously is it is it a successful romantic comedy? No. How do and we it, how do we know that? Losing its laughs. Losing its laughs, right? But it's also like when it says, uh, I like that it, it says at its heart it's political propaganda, but it's wrapped into so it's letting you know that it looks like this on the outside, but that's not really what it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So if you're now. What were the movie promoters trying to do by using the shorter quote and endearing romantic comedy? Appeal to more people. Yeah, appeal to more people, right? So you're scrolling through Netflix, it's like, oh, an endearing romantic comedy. That sounds perfect for a nice, cozy evening, right? <laughs> well, actually, so the way the algorithms on streaming services work, that they find endearing romantic comedy in those reviews and stuff will group them with other endearing romantic comedies have yeah. more chance to get views. So you see, you know, you've got Mail, The Notebook, <laughs> The Girl in a Cafe, which mm -hmm. is really political propaganda, right? <laughs> so, so all this to say, I mean, what's, why is it so important to understand a quote in its context, original context? <clears throat> to state the obvious. Yeah, it has a different meaning, right? <clears throat> it is possible to use what we call proof text, right? And, and this kind of happens, you know, more than you know. Now, yeah, right? like most of the time, most of our, <laughs> most of our uh, media input is crafting a message that you want to say by using some, you know, other people's words, rather not that's what they were intended to mean. Yeah, or that you sounds too harsh. We should say it this way. <laughs> That is what they're getting at. Yeah, and so, I mean, even in, let's say, an argument, you go back and forth, and people start quoting each other. Often those quotes aren't necessarily, like, given the right context. There's, like, this new insurance, I don't know what insurance company, where these couples have an argument about, I thought you were going to get the life jackets. No, you're going to get the life jackets. And they kind of pull out the red flag, the challenge flag, where in the NFL you can look at the replay. You guys ever seen those? <laughs> They're great, and so they kind of get a replay of the actual conversation, and that's when they determine who's right or who's wrong. <laughs> insurance commercials are the best. That's, that's I, funny. I, don't, I don't want to buy more insurance, not like the commercials. Um, yeah, so I mean, understanding things in its original context, because it, it just frames the meaning, right? And so one thing that we're really trying to teach you guys when, when you look at the right posture of um, understanding the Word of God and its meaning, a lot of it is about the posture that you take, right? We are on the receiving end of God's uh, revelation. So you receive the Word as it stands, you read and observe what it says, you reflect and contemplate the passage that starts to derive its meaning, and then you relate the passage to your life. And so we talked about a little bit about receiving the Word, right? It's like, you know, we receive the word like this. Like, as, as it is given to us, we receive it. We don't edit it. We don't change it. Uh, we are under it, okay? And so it would make sense that if we're going to receive the word as it stands, we don't try to reinterpret it like those producers and promoters did, right? They basically rip the text out of context to promote their movie to make that reviewer say something that he did not actually say, assuming that it was a male that wrote it. And so that's often a temptation people do with the Bible, agree? Well, they'll take different quotes, like, like one of the great passages that are taken out of context is, do not judge. 
right? If you just stand right there, what would be your impression of of Christians who say this is wrong? Do not judge. What do you think, Scott? Not they say, well, anytime you judge, then you're sinning. That's sinning, right? That, that's, that's the world's favorite verse, right? But when you look at it in the broader context, what's it talking about? It's in Matthew chapter 7. And maybe, do not judge lest you be judged, right? The standard of measure that you use to others will be used to you, right? Why do you look at your speck in your brother's eye? and ignore the log in your own eye. And then it says, take out the log, and then you take out the speck, right? So it's not a prohibition against any confrontation. It's a prohibition against hypocritical uh, confrontation, right? So those are just some, that, that's probably the most famous example of people using a verse out of context to really make it say something that is the opposite of the biblical teaching. So, and, and the thing is, we all kind of have a, um, there is a tendency to always try to bend words and meanings to our favor, right? So how do you go about not doing that? And that's where observation is just really key, okay? Observation. So um, observation, explain. What is an observation? Uh, observation is a process of inspecting, examining, poking and prodding the chosen text of scripture. Someone who is a keen observer will seek to uncover every clue and turn over every stone. So you're like a forensic scientist. I mean, you're, you are looking at the scene and you're just trying to figure out what has happened. You know, what do we see? What are some clues that we have? And you have to keep in mind, like when you know, police do that, it, they're not trying to get somebody guilty. You know, what will prove this person guilty, right? They just want to know, we need to look at all the factors before we jump to conclusions about who's guilty and the meaning of what just happened here. So why is it important to suspend judgment while making observations? What happens if you make an interpretation too early? What do you think? Why do you need to suspend judgment? It'll skew your observations. Yeah. And I know that once I've, I don't know if it's the flesh, but once I've reached an interpretation, my tendency is to defend, want to defend that. Yeah. Right? And so long, as soon as I make that, I think this is what it means. I, I, that part that's open and observing kind of sh starts to shut down. I start to mm -hmm. defend why I think. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of can get into this where I've got this great sermon. Okay, those of you who've preached, you know this temptation. I've got this great sermon. I just need to find a text to prove it. Oh man, I got this good one. And and there there have been times where I'm like, this is perfect for it. And then I study it and I realize I can either preach my sermon or I can preach the text. Yeah, one has to one has to give. Right? Or let's say you get into a theological argument with someone, right? You're talking about, let's say, predestination, young earth, you name it. Um, if you, sometimes you want to, like, respond to their point and prove your point, and so you go hunting for passages that will prove your point. Does that make sense? 
So, I mean, these are, these are very natural inclinations, I think, that we, we have. So what would be the problem with me um, going ahead and preaching the right message, the right sermon, from, let's say, the wrong text? I know it doesn't really mean this, but if I kind of twist it this way, it could. What's, what's the problem with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What stops you from doing this other text in the future? Yes. Yeah. Maybe not such a stretch as that. Yeah. Just what you wanted it to mean. Yeah. Well, I think a, a sermon, a, a teaching, um, teaches the broader body mm-hmm. how to approach scripture. And, mm-hmm. and so if, if you can give a sermon that it's not... Um, that's not actually flowing out of the text, then the broader body is learning to do that as mm-hmm. well. And uh, sometimes it's more subtle. I, I mean, I, you, you ha- would have to have a pretty astute <coughs> church body to, to, to catch it, depending on, on how skewed the sermon is. Yeah. But I, but I, I mean, when you, when you preach, I do, I think you teach, you teach the church body what that text says and then yeah. how they themselves can approach scripture. Yeah. Like if I'm using a different translation to prove my point, right? I kind of like this what this translation says, so I'll go with the message, or go with this passage, or get. And, and sometimes, like sometimes, I do do that because I sincerely believe that maybe the ESV um, doesn't have the right nuance, right? But there's a difference between that and you know scrolling through and like, oh, the message nails it again. I'll use that. Does that make sense? But I think that's a really good point. You're, you know, every time somebody teaches, they're not just teaching the text; they're teaching how to get meaning from the text. Yeah, and if you're, even if you're teaching a biblical truth, but it's not coming from that text, then it means you're missing what the text is saying. Mm-hmm. You might, what you're saying might be true, but you might be, mi- like you're saying, you're drawing out something that's not there, and you're missing what actually is. Mm-hmm. What actually is there? So we're missing something else that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Notably, you're twisting God's word. Mm-hmm. It's not your word to twist. Yeah. So whether you do it to teach bad doctrine or good doctrine, you're still twisting God's word, and our job is to honor it. Yeah, and I think that's right on. Right? It's not our word. You know, it's His word, not ours. So even if we have like, well, Lord, if I just twist it this way, I can get your message out better. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't doesn't quite work that way, right? So observation is um, something that's super important to do because it it shows a tremendous respect for God's word. Does does that? You know, I want to discover God's word. I don't want to create God's word or improve upon God's word. Okay. So here's some um, you know things to look for. I'm going to look at observation here. Uh, Martin Luther compared his Bible study process to the way one gathers apples. First, I shake the whole tree that the ripest may fall. Then I claim the tree and shake each branch, and then each twig, and then I look under each leaf. I thought that was just a real clever way of explaining, you know, how do you observe a text, okay? So, um, you know, one thing... Yeah, let's just, we'll use the most famous verse in the Bible, right? Uh, 
John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, you know, that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So um, let's just go ahead and turn there and, and we look for number one, connecting verse, and, but, therefore, and for. Do we see any of those in uh, John 3.16? Yeah, you see four. Anything else? And. What's that? And. And, okay. Depending on your translation, right? So kind of, we'll kind of speed through this. Verbs, note the tense and voice. And uh, is this a command or declaration? Right, so tense, future tense, present tense, Past tense. Voice would be passive, middle, or active, like he gave or he was given. Um, so, yeah, what are the commands here? What are the verbs that we see? Love. Love. Past, present, future? Past. Past, okay. What Gave. else do we see? Gave. Gave, past, present, future? Past. Okay, what else do we see? Believers. Past, present, future? Would be present, right? Present. Okay. Is it do you guys know what I mean by passive passive voice or active voice? Active. The active person is it's not it's being done to them, it's they're they're yeah. doing it. They're okay. Doing. Are these commands? They're no, nope, not command. See what I'm saying? So I'm just I'm it's walking. It's not an imperative as meaning you shall do. It's yeah, that's exactly. not the yeah the. It's not that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So nouns, right? Know whether it is singular or plural. Look up a word in the lexicon so that you might observe its meaning, right? So let's list the nouns. Go through the text. What do we see? Go. Mm -hmm. What's the next noun? Okay, next noun. Son. Well, there's one before that. It's oh, a pronoun. He. 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 Yeah. Son. Okay. Him. Whoever. Whoever. Uh-huh. Him, right? Parish seems to be kind of an adverb, but then you have like life modified by eternal, right? So you see, an understanding grammar is very helpful. Uh, patterns and context, look for similar uh, verb forms in this passage, such as the five participles strung together. So, I mean, do you see, if you kind of look at the broader context, do you see any um, themes that are um, repeated? Look at 17. You see overlapping phrases between 16 and 17? For God. Mm -hmm. God said in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, gave the son, sent the son. I mean, that's kind of a similar concept. Um, how about... Uh, believes in context. Whoever yeah. Later on, 18, yeah. 19, whoever believes, whoever does not believe. Yeah, repeated words. I mean, you kind of brought that out. So notice how we're expanding the context a little bit to get more observations. Okay, 14 is interesting. Okay. I've never seen that. What's that? Um, and as Moses 
up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Yeah, interesting. Okay, contrast? Well, words that a given writer uses, well, you'd have to read more of John, but world is probably one of the big ones that you see throughout. As you read the large context, okay? Uh, let's look at contrast, comparisons, commands, exhortations. What do we see there? Is there any contrast in 316? Um, not very. Yeah, that's the big one, right? Okay. I'm going to just kind of speed it. We could be more exhaustive, but I'm just trying to help you guys locate each one. Comparisons, commands. Is there any, what's the nearest command? Believe in him. Mm. Yeah, that's more of an indicative, but whoever believes in him. Probably the nearest one would be you must be born again. Right? That'd be the command. Early but you have to kinda of go earlier. Exhortations, definite articles, the or the lack of, thereof, right? World versus the world. Uh, see any adjectives? Eternal. Eternal. Okay, so that's one example. Prepositions in there? 316? Four. Hmm? Four. That would be more of a connective word. In. In, right? Um, genitives. Okay, that's kind of like possessive. Okay, do you see any genitives? Not sure if I see one in 316. Um, you might want to see that the, yeah, what does the verse not say? These are a little bit tricky, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Like, notice that for God so loved the elect, right? It doesn't say that. It says world. So, so I'm a little mean? confused by the genitives. Um, it says revelation of Jesus Christ. So yeah, whenever this is all completely revelation, but we're specifically <coughs> isolating words from Jesus, or well, is, what does that so, mean? It's like an example. So an example, that's an example from uh, Revelation chapter 1. Okay. The revelation of Jesus Christ. So the question with that is, is Jesus doing the revealing, or is Jesus the one who's revealed? Oh, so a lot of times when you see that, uh, okay. you know, there's some you can kind of drill down and and see, you know, what's being talked about here. You know, as, as observation is a kind of a delicate, cerebral, focused project. This is why a lot of people want to kind of skip through this because this is where a lot of the hard work of scripture study begins. Okay. Um, yeah. What the verse does not say. Um, whether the verse uses a phrase that is or may be synonymous with another phrase. For an example, filled with or by the Spirit in Ephesians, does that mean the same thing as being strengthened with the might by the Spirit? Um, so you look at this passage, love the world, like what is, you have all these phrases of the world kind of used in different contexts. So is it meaning the same thing here? Um, maybe evidence of the writer's own passion, feeling, heartbeat, goals, anger, or disappointment. Um, 
like when you read the Gospel of John, do you see any like major themes that may be in this passage? Who is he referring to when he says the world? That's the question. I'm not going to interpret it for you. We're just <laughs> observing it. Okay. Okay. Now, if I say who's he talking to, that's going to be an interpretation. Yeah. Okay. So I think one thing, if you look at John, John probably uses agape love probably more than any other author in scripture. He probably has the highest ratio of, you know, love to other words in um, in scripture. So that would be something. That's a to bigger consider. thing. Yeah. Uh, we talked about, we talked a little bit about the variety of ways God refers to Christ, God, Holy Spirit. I mean, how does he refer to Christ here? If that is the case, right? Because it, it, huh? It's only son, right? So it doesn't say it's for God still loved the world or the Father still loved the world that he gave his only son. It does say God still loved the world. So that would be another thing that it does not say. So isn't it interesting that God is not referred to as Father? Um, only son doesn't say Christ or Jesus, right? So we'd have to make sure, how do we know that is Jesus, right? You'd have to look at the larger context. Um, words that reflect historical data. Do you see any historical words in here in verse 16? Doesn't look like it, right? References to new geography. Maybe, like, world he was sent into the world that there seems to be like two planes here he was in one place and then another place but nothing like Jerusalem or any of that okay references to chronology mm -hmm. Go on. eternity is well, the time element but well, there seems posts. to be there's a chronology here but we don't know if it's eternity or not see that that'd be jumping ahead to interpretation oh. does that make sense yeah. I hate to be Gabe I'm glad you're very honest because everyone's thinking this <laughs> you know what I'm saying but that's where you kind of have like eh, interpretation <laughs> that's an interpretation I'm sorry right? and that kind of makes sense <laughs> and, and that's the tricky part I, I think that's why observation is hard because we want to jump to conclusions Right, so a lot of times when I study, I'll, I'll show you more of my method later on. I take concerted effort to just spend an hour just observing the text and not jumping to conclusions. Okay, um, how much space does a writer devote to a given topic? Uh, let me go ahead and fix this tab on that. Um, so when you look at this, maybe looking at loving the world, I mean, and this would be something where you'd have to look at the broader context of God's relationship with the world in the Gospel of John. So John 17, you know, Jesus' prayer talks about that. So he's even, the world is even mentioned in 1 John, do not love the world or the things of the world. Um, so that's like one of the big topics is, you, you'd go beyond it. And we'll talk a little bit more about it, but um, a lot of times when you look at, let's say, world and love, you'd want to stick with John. What does John say about it? Um, Features of the writer's style. For instance, Paul has infinity for long sentences. John has his own. Or even differences between translations. And this is interesting. So I'll go ahead and bring up um, comparison here. So 
So we'll do John 3.16. <coughs> So, do you see any big, oh, maybe uh, shrink this a bit so you can see everything. Uh, and come on. Multiple versions side by side. Side by side, yeah, this is the Cadillac this of Bible awesome. software. <laughs> I've made a few convert. I'm, I'm making an observation there for the record. Yeah, yeah. That was not. <laughs> oh, we have to part your screen yeah. if you're oh, done. Oh, like there I go. Okay, I'm having trouble multiplying. Okay, let's see. Got it. There we go. All right. So this is kind of interesting. As you can see, the, the blue, this is kind of the base translation ESV. And then it shows you, in the other ones, the blue says this is a variation. So instead of saying only, it says begotten. So instead of saying should, it says shall, right? It says in the Holman Coleman Standard Bible, it says one and only son. NIV says his one and only son. And one and only son, so the factory. Where here, it doesn't say one and only, it just says only son in the ESV. So sometimes when you kind of compare translations <laughs> side by side, um, you can make additional observations there. And so sometimes I'll, I'll do that and say the ESV says this, the NESV says this, like what's the difference between begotten, his only son, and his one and only son? So there's gonna be some word studies I'll have to do to figure out those questions, okay? Does this make sense? So, so if you just like have this checklist with you, you know, have this checklist, and it, as you go through the text, just try to answer all those questions and observations. and you make a lot of progress. Yeah, I've got a slight question with regard to your percent differences. That's uh -huh. really interesting. Is there like, are the word are certain words more different, or just are they're just going by the total of number of them? By the total number, and this is where you get into the different uh, translations of okay. the Bible. There's um, kind of two spectrums, right? There's formal equivalence and dynamic equivalence. Okay, formal equivalence is trying to be as word by word as possible. Whereas dynamic equivalence, it would be thought by thought, right? So I'll pick on the Smiths, right? You guys do translation. Um, no, you don't? You do. <laughs> <laughs> Not right? But you can translate, like what I said in English, in a variety yeah. of ways, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, like, I have a fra phrase in Spanish, there's a phrase, me cayó el veinte, which literally is, uh, the 20 fell on me. Yeah. But what it means is, I realized. Mm -hmm. So, a little translation is actually, doesn't make any sense in English. Mm -hmm. But a dynamic translation takes the idea and translates in a way that makes sense in English. That's actually what it's trying to say. It's not trying to say, the 20 fell on me. Uh, there's a reason why it, it, it makes in Spanish. It's trying to say, I realized. Yeah. Mm -hmm. mm. So here with like one and only, like probably the most literal one would be begotten. Okay. ESV says only, um, kind of like there's a, a, a unique relationship between God the Father and the Son. And, um, you know, the NIV uses, let's say, one and only, 
to just try to highlight that unique relationship where they don't think only goes far enough. Does that make sense? And then you just have begotten. So if you read the NASB and begotten, who knows what begotten means, right? People who are theologically astute. And so what the NIV would try to do is try to smooth it over for your common reader. Does that make sense? So they're all as all saying the same thing. Yeah, but how do you handle that Greek word? So sometimes when you look at multiple translations, you're able to see beyond the English into some of the Greek text. Okay, like I said, this is more cerebral and everything. That's why I kind of have this high-tech ghetto operation here. Um, any questions about this? Does this kind of make sense? Again, th this is like study is labor. And this is probably the hardest part, you know, of my study, yeah. So something that we found helpful as we talk about these sorts of issues in our ministry is people get confused with observation and interpretation, obviously. Yeah. And a key way to distinguish is you can't argue with an observation. I like that. You can't argue with an interpretation. But if you can argue about it, it's now an interpreta interpretation issue. You can't argue if that's a noun or not. It just is. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And sometimes you... So if you were to ask maybe some questions, like what is the meaning of world? You know, what's the nuance? You might look at, there's different ways to interpret world. Mm -hmm. Just like there's different ways to interpret begotten. And so, yeah, about like that. If you, if you can argue about it, it's not an observation. So I have to remember that, so that's good. Um, any other thoughts? That's yeah, really more. cool. Huh? I, I'm, that's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, I've, I've been really blessed just with simple, basic tools that are available, like uh, Blue Letter Bible. Blue Letter Bible is really good, or um, just one of those interlinear where you can see what all the words are, and you know you can oh, what is that word and how yeah. is it used? That's a really I love to yeah. If it's a word that I'm like okay, where does the just seeing oh this was used ten times and this author used it three times in this book and this is how it's used, I think you do that a lot of times in our study, it's like, how does the, you know, when it talks about the men were driven by the Holy Spirit, it's the same word as the ship being driven by the wind, like there's that yeah. usage in other places. Um, yeah. Is this it good is, observational? Yeah, so this is a really good, um, you know, John, we can do it in here, this is a Blue Letter Bible, it's free for everyone uh, to use, we'll do it in the, also the ESV, Look it up this way. So here it is, John three sixteen. And I have a little little toolbox here, so I can do the interlinear. Yeah, we'll talk more about this a little bit later on. But it has the Greek translation. Um, you can do it in different Bibles. So King James version, New King James version. So I can kind of do the the comparison with this. So you can do a lot of the same things. Yeah, Logos is kind of like it's kind of like the Cadillac. And, um, you know, if somebody's really serious about preaching, teaching, studying on kind of a deeper level, I do recommend getting it. But you can do a lot with Blue Letter Bible. You know, so I think that's sufficient for a lot of people. And yeah. David, I think you can do a lot with the one you have in your hands. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think, if there, I mean, there, well, of course I don't want to discourage people from, like, Bible. Yeah. Logos, if they really need it, but I think yeah. there's a set like 90%, if not more, yeah. of observation really comes with the text you have in your hands. Yeah. Um, and I, I think sometimes if we, if 
we can glamorize too much the Cadillacs. Yeah. When really, like, God gave us a bicycle that's pretty fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We can get to the store. We can yeah. do it. So. Yeah. With just one Bible, you can do a lot. I say you get another Bible. Sometimes that can help. The comparison can help because we're not reading directly out of the Greek. And, and sometimes there can be some things. Or it's just kind of a check. Does that make sense? So, like, when I compare different translations, it's like, okay, I think there's an issue here because these are very. When you look at it, these are different translations. And so that's usually a sign that you probably need to do some more research here um, than before. Um, not huge issues in John 3.16, but there are some others where, hmm, I don't know. Does that make sense? So, I mean, studying is, is as deep as you want to go, really. I mean, people have written volumes and dissertations on John 3.16. Yeah, and some children have memorized it, and they, they still understand it. Um, that's just how deep you want to go. Does that make sense? But good point. So do not underestimate your Bible, as long as it's not the message. <laughs> <laughs> and I am somewhat serious about that. Yeah. There's a lot yeah. of um, translators have opinions too. You know what I'm saying? Translators have opinions too. And uh, the thing with the message is there's one person translating it. ESV. NIV, NESB, there's a committee that's translating it. And they're usually pretty honest, like if there's a different translation, they'll make a little footnote with it. But the message is one guy translating it to make it readable and without, you know, he had some check, but. Um, all right, let's look at, we'll go back here. Um, anything you, any other things to look for? I think probably exhausted this one. So let's look at some biblical examples of observation. You know, just so you see that this is not the only something that we only do in a Bible study. It's something that Jesus did too. So, but regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So what observation does Jesus make here? I have a helpful underline for you guys. I, I am. So, what's the significance? Uh, those are the words that God spoke to Moses. Okay. In, in the consequential. Uh, yeah. Not passive. Not passive. Okay. Correct. Now, keep in mind, he is talking to um, Sadducees, and Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. And part of the reason why they don't believe in the resurrection is because it's not in the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. They only took the Torah as authoritative. Okay? So, one observation is where is he quoting? Do you guys have an idea where this comes from? It'd be Exodus, you know, the burning bush, right? So, clearly in the Torah. And he's using this to prove life after death. How does he prove it? The tents. The tents, right? And the fact that the people he was speaking of at the time had already died. Yeah. So, so there's a if you were to say what the text does not say, it does not say what? I was. It does not say I was the God of Abraham. Right? It says I am. So he uses the present tense. 
right? So Jesus makes a grammatical argument based off of the tense to prove a theological point. Does that make sense? So grammar does matter. So that's why, like, a lot of times we do word studies, and word studies are great, but it's also very important to just kind of understand some of the basics of grammar. In fact, when Joshua and I went to seminary, did you have to take that grammar test? Yeah. So they actually, we had to take a grammar test to test out of grammar. Otherwise, we would spend one semester in basic English grammar. Because what they found was that when people knew the grammar, it was easier for them to pick up you know, Greek and Hebrew and stuff. But you know, mm-hmm. if you just understand basic, like these translators, they don't just translate word for word, right? They also have, they translate grammar and sentence structures and try to pull that in. And that's why it is reliable. Like there's a passive voice in the Greek. Well, it shows up in the English as well. I mean, so that's why the translators do a really good job of that. Um, and so, yeah, if you see passive voice, future voice, all those things do matter. Commands are commands. So Greek is actually fairly easy to translate into English. It's not that. Um, it's not like going from Chinese to English, which is the more you learn about how that language works, the more impossible it seems. They just throw words together, and you kind of have to have a feel for the grammar. So here's another one. Uh, Matthew 22, 43-45, and he said to them, that how does the spirit of David and the spirit call him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? So what observation does Jesus make here? If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? Yeah. So he's noticing, right? He's observing the text. The Lord said to my Lord, right? One Lord is calling another one Lord. Okay, and how does that impact his interpretation? Where is he going with this? How can David call him Lord? David calls him Lord. How is his son? How is he his son? Anybody want to take a shot at that? We're all afraid to, right? Because it might be like wrong observations. I'm really trying to wrap my head around this. Okay. It's very... Yeah. yeah. Well, one thing to note is that Jesus is making an observation about what the scripture says, right? The insinuation is, if David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? What is David's relationship to this Lord? Is it just a father-son, a progenitor type of relationship, or is there something more? Right? He's posing the question. How is, if he's speaking of a future, if David is speaking of a future descendant, how is he calling this future descendant his Lord? So there's some strong indications of deity there. Okay? Okay. Then you have uh, Galatians 3.16. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, 
but rather to one, and to your seed, that is Christ. So what observation does he make in this passage? Distance between singular and plural. Yeah. Yeah, and he kind of brings it out. Seed normally is, you know, if you have a lot of seed, right, it's, but he uses the, the as the translators do that, to kind of draw out the point. Right, difference between singular and plural. Right, and, and how does that make a difference? Is it a group or an individual? Group or an individual, yeah. It also says now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's like just present. Yeah. That, that's yeah. So. Tools for observation. So, a um, couple things to do. I'm going to um, obviously one Bible is good enough, but usually I recommend getting three Bibles. Okay, to kind of compare, you can do this through through their Bible. And our, our text that we're going to look at is Ezra seven ten. Okay, so Ezra seven ten. It says in the NASB. Uh, for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. New International Version, for Ezra had devoted himself to study and observance of the law and to teach its decrees and laws in Israel. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Okay, so let's take a moment to read through these three verses uh, and note any translational differences. Do any of these differences seem significant? So do you guys see any differences here? Seek seems different enough to be noticed than study, study, study and versus seek. Okay. Just study. Seeking yeah. can be different. Than okay. Seeking. Yeah, I think that's, that's good. Other differences that you see? And as we says to practice it, the other ones just say to study and observe it. Okay. Um, James says to do it though. Do it. Do it. Okay. Uh, NASB says his statutes and ordinances, where the other two just say statutes and ordinances. Okay. <coughs> Maybe set, devoted, and prepared. They're kind of all different. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's actually really... Uh -huh. It says it's decrees, laws, and laws in Israel. And then the New King James says, and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. Mm-hmm. And those are very different, I think, than his. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Does. Mm -hmm. NIV and King James both capitalize the word law. Okay. Make it a proper noun, whereas NASB just has it as law. Yeah, you guys are doing great. Keep it up. <coughs> NASB and New King James both include the concept of heart. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He prepared his heart. Mm -hmm. And NIV does not. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Mm 
Do you see any grammar things that, that strike you as different? Now the New King James have teach and I has teaching. Okay. The New King James Version has a comment that A and A and B is lacking. Okay. I'll look at the wall. Anything else? differences? Okay, here's one, okay? Notice in the New American Standard, it says, for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it. So, study the law of the Lord and to practice it, then comma, and teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Uh, New National Version, for Ezra devoted himself to study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching his decrees and laws in Israel. Then the New King James Version says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach his statutes in Israel. So notice the difference between the New King James. It basically makes it three actions. For these other two, it's kind of two actions. Does that make sense? So, I mean, that would be a different, now is that significant? I don't know. I mean, it's worth asking the question. Does that make sense? So, um, so that's why sometimes you look at words. Sometimes you look at how they kind of phrase things because the translators, you know, they did that on purpose. And so clearly, the New King James and New International Version just kind of have maybe a different take on how they how they would structure that. Make sense? So we're going to go ahead. And we'll pause here because we're out of time. Um, but next time we get together, we're going to kind of do kind of a greater exercise of what it says, what it does not say. You guys want to overachieve? I mean, I have some example observations, but you can maybe add some of your own later on. Now, next week, are we meeting? No. No, because we will be feasting together, celebrating God's goodness in Thanksgiving. So let me pray and I'll let you go. Well, Father, I'm just grateful for this opportunity to come together and to um, just really train and equip uh, these brothers and sisters and how to really notice and um, cogitate, think about, study, and meditate on, on Scripture. Lord, help us to just have hearts where we want to discover its meaning, not give it. I also pray for um, you know, this next part of the worship service. That will be a deep, reward, rewarding, and edifying um, time. Pray for Joshua as he teaches. That will be greatly encouraged by his word. In Christ's name, amen.